Good morning, everyone. This is the bittersweet moment, right? Praise the Lord. I've been uh, very, very blessed. You know, every time I hang around God's people, it's such a special thing. Because with hanging around you guys, you, you get a taste of heaven. And uh, when you go down the hill, you don't always get that. So, I'm already crying. This is crazy. I haven't, I haven't even opened the Bible yet, but I just appreciate you guys very much. And uh, I praise the Lord for you. Have you been blessed? I know you have. As I said before, when I first stood up here, we need to treasure these moments. God has given us the beauty of our brains to remember things. And in our moments of despair, he gives us memories so we can pull up memories such as these to give us hope. So we can remember the commitments we've made, the dedications and the promises we've made to him. That's what your memory's for. So you can remember the victories that he's wrought in your life. So that your memories can give you courage to push on. That's what your memory's for. And so, it is my request that you pray for me as I stand here, a sinner like, we, like all of us, that the Lord would use me to speak a word from heaven for myself and for you. Would you do that? Yes. Shall we pray? Oh, loving Father, We are so thankful, Lord, that you have called us to this mountain. We are so thankful, Lord, that you've removed obstacles. You've cleared paths just so that we can be here. We thank you for what you've done thus far. And Lord, as we prepare to leave, we just want to praise you for what you will do when we get down this mountain. We know, Lord, that your power wants to remain with us and it doesn't want to wane. It doesn't want to wear out. Oh, Lord, open our ears today that we may hear. Everything that we've learned, Lord, let us not forget. We thank you for your spirit. I praise you, Lord, for speaking through me even now. Thank you, Father, for hearing the desires of our hearts and answering according to the multitude of your mercies and according to your loving kindness. We praise you. In Jesus' name, let God's people say, Amen. Amen. I praise the Lord of how he organizes, his, organizes messages with his people. You know, he is the master architect. And the reason why I say that is because the messages this week, I don't know if you've noticed, but they all kind of come together with a, with a certain theme that I believe God is wanting to impress his people on. Amen. And that is to reveal the character of Christ. Amen. And there's nothing better than we can do but to reveal the character of Christ. 
And so this morning's message is going to be a culmination in many ways of what you've heard already. And I praise the Lord for that. Because even though we have memory to remember, if you're like me, we forget. And the Lord repeats himself the same things over and over because he wants us to know that, hey, this is important and it should be priority. But let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 27, I believe. When you get there, please say amen. amen. 1 Samuel chapter 27, beginning with verse 1. And the Bible says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose, and he passed over with 600 men that were with him, unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Verse 5. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. Verse 12. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. This is one of the saddest chapters in the story of David for me. Here you see David, and I can picture David walking with his head down. He is worn out from being pursued relentlessly by Saul. Worn out so much that he says, there's nothing better for me to do than to seek aid from my first enemy. And so he goes to the king of Gath. And out of all cities, he ends up going to Gath, seeking aid from his enemy, weary, defeated, and tired. It's as if his fire was pacified. As I read this chapter, I say, wait a minute, this is not the same David that I was introduced to in the Bible. This is a broken David. This is a David who who has lost his fire that he once had. The servant of a Philistine? Let's remember David. Let's go 10 chapters prior. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's remember this on fire, Holy Ghost filled brother of the Lord. I mean, David was pumped up when he first came on the scene. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's just remember who David was really was. He was newly anointed by the Holy Ghost in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 17, he visits his brethren at the battlefield, and he hears the bellowing challenge of Goliath of Gath. And what stuns David is not the giant. It's the lack of activity of Israel. He's sitting around like, wait a minute, why is nobody moving and fighting this guy? And then he himself, so full of zeal and faith in the Lord. I mean, this brother's on fire. He literally just came down from SWYC off the mountain. (laughs) He's pumped up. 
can't believe the inaction in the church. And he's like, wait a minute, I'll do what the Lord has called all of us to do. Let's remember David's zeal. Let's look at verse 45. I'm just so amazed at his faith. Chapter 17, 1 Samuel, verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And I love this verse. I just love it. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David did what, everyone? Hasted or hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. What faith? He he walks in front of the giant and says, this day I'm going to cut your head off. And then when I cut your head off, I'm going to feed your body to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. You and the army behind you. And then the next thing he does in faith, he doesn't wait for the Philistine to approach him. He goes to fulfill the word of the Lord in faith and approaches him. Stepping forward in faith. This brother was on fire, pumped up from GYC. Ready to take out the giants in his life. But 10 chapters later, just 10 chapters later, his fire was all but fizzled out. I remember when I first gave my testimony uh, to to my home church. It was the first time I gave it. I was so nervous. And um, the Lord really blessed. My brother and I, we gave our testimony together. And I'll never forget uh, this is when I first gave my heart to the Lord. When, I, when we were done, I, a gentleman approached me, an elderly gentleman who's been in the church for years. And he said, brother, that was a powerful testimony. And he put his hand on my shoulder. I was highly blessed. And I said, praise God. And then the next words he said to me, I'll never forget. He said, I remember what it used to feel like to be on fire for the Lord. And I'll never forget his face. He kind of looked down almost ashamed, almost reflecting on the glory days. And then he said to me, but you know, over time you kind of, you'll see. And I'll never forget what he did after that. It reminds me of David in 1 Samuel chapter 27. I see the same picture. He grabbed his coat, he put his head down. And he took that walk of shame and he, with his head down slowly out of the sanctuary. It was the saddest picture. And I never forget, people were talking and talking. Everything stopped for me at that moment. I didn't hear anything. My mind and my, my eyes were focused on that man. And as he walked out, I cried out to the Lord in that moment. And I said, Lord, is that what I have to look forward to? Is that my future in this movement? Is that what we have to look forward to? Coming down from this mountain, pumped up by the word of the Lord and being in his presence. When we come down here, many of us have made decisions to take out giants in our life. 
but is it only to last a season? I look at the story of David and I notice a turning point for David. There's always a turning point. So let's identify a turning point in his life. And it happens in 1 Samuel chapter 18. You see, it was because of these trials and tribulations and this relentless persecution upon the life of David that eventually wore him out to the point that he wasn't the same person as he started off as. 1 Samuel chapter 18, David, he is famous. Overnight, he goes from a shepherd of sheep to a shepherd of men. Overnight, he's, 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 he's eating food in the field. Now he's eating at the king's table. I mean, this brother is famous. King Saul sets, sets him over the captain as a captain of the host. And David is now leading soldiers to battle. And he's winning victory after victory. And it seems he can't lose. And his actions is restoring faith back to God. But there's a turning point. David comes back from battle in 1 Samuel chapter 18, victorious again. And the women begin to sing this song. Saul had slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Let's look at verse 8, 1 Samuel 18, verse 8. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David. From that day forward. Ever since that evil eye fell upon David at that moment, the very next two verses says Saul tries to kill him with a javelin. David would now become Israel's most wanted man. This brother will be dodging javelins, jumping out of windows, hiding in holes, hiding in temples, hiding in the woods, hiding in the caves, separated from his wife, separated from his family, living life on the edge. All because a king was concerned about losing his kingdom. God has called each and every one of us to be lights. He says, let your light therefore shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. God wants you to be on fire. He wants you to be determined. He wants you to be motivated. He wants you to be out there shaking up somebody's kingdom. The Bible says there's a foe out there. And in 1 Peter, he's known as a lion. In Ephesians chapter 6, he's known as the ruler of darkness. So I'm going to put those titles together and call him the lion of darkness. And it's so fitting because lions truly love to hunt at night. You ever watch National Geographic? They prefer hunting at night. Why? Because they have the advantage over their prey. And the prey never sees it coming for the most part. The Bible says the world is covered in gross darkness and that this line of darkness rules this world. But God has called you to be lights. Now, what does a light do to the hunting ground of a lion? You better believe it exposes him. David was a fluorescent flame shining on the dark canvas of this dark world. And the enemy took notice. Wait a minute. He's causing too much attention to God. He is revealing my position and I can't have that. And that evil eye fell upon David at that moment. Because he was shaking up his kingdom. When you leave this mountain, 
And that fire that God has laid upon your heart within your bosom burns with a passion to go down this hill and slay the giants. When you take the sword of the Lord and take it to the Philistines, so to speak, you take his word to the unbeliever and you present the gospel as God has given you the power to present it. An eye of the evil one will fall upon you because your light is shining a little bit too bright on his hunting ground. I asked the Lord a question. I said, okay, this, 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 this seems kind of like Satan has a lot of power. And, and as I understood the story, it made sense to me that just as David hasted to destroy Goliath, so Satan longs to destroy the champions of God, your number one targets. But I want to study the Bible a little bit. Is that okay? Let's read three verses. And I'm going to pull out two points. All right. Three verses. And I'm, we're going to pull out two points. Let's stay in Samuel. Let's flip a page if you need to and go to 1 Samuel 16. Let's look at verse 14. Three verses, two points concerning this hunt. This lion that is on the hunt for those who are on fire from God. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. The Bible says it all makes sense when we read all three verses. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. First Samuel chapter 18, let's go back there. We read verse 9 about the eye falling upon David. The very next verse, let's read verse 10. First Samuel 18 verse 10, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David, even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 19. and verse 9, this is the second time Saul throws a javelin at David. Verse 9 says, And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. Here's my two points. Number one, it wasn't Saul who hunted David. It was Satan. Servant of the Lord even says that each time that David was pursued, it was the evil spirit that came upon him. Why was Satan pursuing David? Because Satan was concerned about losing his kingdom. The chapter before that evil spirit fell upon Saul, Saul was the king, so who was ruling the kingdom? Now, you think about it. When David came on the scene, he was declaring such mighty faith. He was giving glory back to God. And everybody in Israel looked upon David and they knew that the hand of the Lord was upon him. In the chapter previous, he was anointed with the Holy Ghost. So what you're witnessing here is a great controversy. That's point number one. It was Satan who pursued David. But point number two, which I find so astounding to me, in all these three verses, the Bible says the evil spirit that hunted David, that pursued him, was from who? It came from the Lord. Now, I had a question with God with that. I said, wait a minute, Lord. Are you telling me that this evil spirit that hunted David down to the point where he lost his passion for God, to the point where he was no longer the Christian he started off to be, to the point where all the dedications and all the promises he made, he forfeited. 
Are you telling me that, Lord, you, you, you allowed these evil spirits? Not allowed, you authorized them to go hunt him down? Keep your finger in Samuel. Let's go back to Job. You know what? We as Christians are guilty of giving Satan too much credit. We give him too much power. Let me, let, me, let me share something with you, and it's the principle in Job chapter 1. This is so powerful because we're, we're guilty of saying when we're under trial and persecution, a lot of us Christians say, uh, how you doing, brother? You know what? Devil's just beating me up. You know, he's persecuting me. He's, he's harassing me. But let me change your view just a little bit, okay? Let, let the Bible change your view. Job chapter 1, verse 8, and the Lord said unto Satan, has thou considered my servant Job? That there, is, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that does what? Feareth God and escheweth evil. Notice what you get when you fear God. And Satan said, answered the Lord. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. So in other words, Satan is saying, guess what? Because Job fears you, I can't touch him. I can't do nothing to him. Psalms 34 verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that do what? You see how important it is to fear the Lord? Do you see how important it is to preach the first angel's message? Those who fear the Lord automatically get the special bodyguard of angels to the point where Satan cannot penetrate without permission from God. So if you fear the Lord and Satan is persecuting your life, you better believe a transaction or a communication took place similar to that with Satan, God about Job. First Samuel chapter 17, I can imagine Satan coming to God and God saying, have you considered my servant David? And Satan says, you know what? I can't touch David. You've got a hedge around him. And God says, you know what? Okay. I'll remove the hedge. Go ahead and hunt him down. Go ahead and persecute him. Go ahead and throw a couple javelins at him. Go ahead and separate him from his first wife. Separate him from his kid. Bring hardship in his life. Go ahead. You have my permission. The Bible says the evil spirit came from the Lord. Now, if you got the question, some of you look like you had my face when the Lord showed me that. Like, why in, the Lord, why in the world, Lord, would you authorize that? Because it seems to me that this hunt that you authorized, Lord, eventually dampened the flame and killed his faith. Doesn't it seem that way? And as I said, Lord, why would you do that? Are you telling me when we get down from this mountain, when we start getting involved with our churches, stepping up, teaching, preaching, knocking on doors, being the witness that you've called us to be. Are you telling me, Lord, that all of a sudden we're going to have all kind of issues in relationships, in school, at job, at work, in the church? Are we going to be persecuted from all sides? Why, Lord? Why do you want to dampen our witness? Don't you want us to be lights? When David killed Goliath, he was a light. Everybody was pointed back to heaven. When he won all the battles against the Philistines, everybody was pointed back to heaven. But as soon as this chase ensued, he was a different man. When I asked the Lord that question, it was almost immediate he gave me an answer. And the answer was in Isaiah 55, verse 8. And he says, Adam, you can turn there. 
It's always better to read it. Keep your finger in, in uh, First Samuel. Fifty-five, verse eight. He says, "For he says, Adam. He said this clearly in my head. He said, Adam, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." And then the Lord said, remember 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel went to go choose the king of David and he was looking on the outward appearance and Samuel and and, and God said something powerful in verse seven. First Samuel 16, verse seven, the middle of the verse, it says, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And then God reminded me what was in the heart in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. He says, the heart is above, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's not just wicked, it's desperately wicked. And so God clearly said, Adam, yes, on the outside, David was a powerful witness for me. Yes, on the outside, he was bringing people to God. Yes, on the outside, he was on fire and he was winning souls. Yes, yes, yes. But Adam, I saw something within David's heart that no one else could see. I saw something within David's heart that not even David could see. The only way that I can get him to see it was to turn up the temperature. It's exactly online what Pastor Kim was preaching on this morning. Exactly online. Let's, let's go through a scripture because God says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. God always talks about trials as being fire. But what does fire do? Let's just go to the Bible. It purifies. But I, just like what Pastor Kim says, we'll, we'll find a verse right here. First Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians. Chapter 3, I believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. And when you get there, would you say amen? 1 Corinthians 3, 13, the Bible says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by what? By fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. God wants to use each and every one of us to be that powerful witness for the world, to be on fire for his cause. He wants to use you and I to save others, but he wants to save you in the process. And because he wants to save you in the process, you're not able to see the wickedness within you. Other people are not able to see the wickedness within you. But guess what? God is raising his hand. He says, I can. And he says that wickedness within you, that deceit within you, that's going to hold you back from getting into glory. That wickedness within you is going to hold you back, God says, from letting me see your face. And so I love you so much, I will turn up the temperature. I will authorize Satan to give you problems in your life so that it will be revealed, the wickedness that you cannot see, and you can give it to God. You see, God cannot take away something within you that you don't know exists. 
I love what Pastor preached this morning. He hit it right on the money, right on the money. I'm going to tell you a funny story, but it, my, a friend of mine in my church told me a story before coming up here. And he's a brother, he's a brother elder at the church, and he told me the story, right? He's driving his car, and he's texting, which, of course, he should not do. He's driving, and he's texting. And, you know, this is a brother I look up to in the church, right? He, he's driving and texting, and all of a sudden, someone drives up next to him, and they're just beeping the horn like crazy. Beep, 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 you idiot. Now, I don't know if I'm the only one in here who gets annoyed when someone beeps the horn, but that's like one of the, one of the biggest things for me that just boils my nerves because that's an, anno- an annoying thing. So he's, he's texting, and this guy drives up, beep, 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 you idiot. You should not be texting. I can't believe what you're doing. And, and my friend who's an elder, all of a sudden, he says, man, Adam, I just started boiling all of a sudden. He said, I got the phone in my hand, and I'm getting hot. I'm starting to get angry, right? And he says he winds down the window, and he's going to give this brother a piece of his mind. And as he's about to give this brother a piece of his mind, the Holy Ghost speaks to him and says, you better watch it. You better watch it. And so he, he catches himself, and, and he's like, mm, mm. <laughs> but he's still angry. And instead of giving him a saying bad words, he says, you need to pray. You need to pray. And he's yelling, you need to pray. And the Holy Spirit's like, nah, brother, you need to pray. (laughs) And the guy's yelling at him, you idiot, you need to pray, you idiot. And he's going back and forth, and he's yelling, 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 not looking at the road. And he's busy telling or spreading the gospel, you need to pray. So much that he's not seeing where he's going and he hits this curb, boom, 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 and ends up looking like the idiot the guy was calling him. (laughs) And he tells me this story. He says, Adam, I thought I got over that anger. I thought I got over that issue. And so God authorized a trial to come in his life to reveal something within him that he didn't know existed. And now once he saw it, he can give it to the Lord. Another example is Peter. Peter said, Lord, whatever happens, I'm rolling with you. The disciples thought he was rock solid. Man, I'm rolling with Peter, especially when he pulled out that knife and cut the ear off. This guy's a soldier, you know? Peter is hardcore, you know? And Peter thought he was hardcore, you know? Cephas, my name is a stone, I'm hard, you know? But he didn't know the condition of his heart. He said, I'm going to roll with you to death, Jesus. Whatever happens, I'll go with you. Jesus says, no, I try the reins, I can see your heart. I see something within you that you can't see. Not even the other disciples can see. And so the only way that Peter could see what God could see is that a trial had to come. And the hardest trial for Peter is seeing his Savior cuffed up, beaten in front of his face. Peter didn't know what to do in that situation. That was a trial of fire. And when that woman came up to him and said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Your speech betrays you. And he denied three times. And when the cock crow, you got to read this in Desire of Ages. And he looked at the eyes of Jesus and his heart was broken. Peter was now finally face to face with that wickedness that was within his heart. He now saw clearly his cowardice, his selfishness and his pride. But here's the beauty of once that fire reveals whatever's within you. Here's the beauty. Once it's revealed, Peter then runs. He weeps. And he repents. And God says in Isaiah 61 that once you realize your wickedness and your sin or your weakness, then he wants to complete a transaction. Isaiah 61 says this. 
You can go there if you want to. He says, I'll give you beauty for ashes. Give me your ashes, I'll give you beauty. I'll give you the oil of joy for mourning. I'll give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So God is saying, guess what? Once you realize what's within you, go ahead and give me what you got. I'll give you what I got. He loves you that much that he will allow these things to happen. But just as Pastor Kim spoke about this morning, the most important thing is to reveal the character of Christ. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, and when you get there, please say amen. amen. Let's look at verse 12. I mentioned the verse earlier. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. Let's stop right here. So far we know we got a good reason to rejoice. Why? Because God is revealing something within you that will stop you from getting into glory. Isn't that a reason to rejoice? You better believe it. The Bible says count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Number one, because he's revealing something within you that would hinder you from glory. Number two, I think we need to rejoice even more is what Pastor Kim brought out, is verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his, what's that word? Shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The glory of Christ is his character. But let me let me make this point. And I'm fully convicted of this by by meditating on God's word. You can attract more souls to Christ by revealing Christ in your hottest trial than you not being in a trial. Let me say that again. In your hottest trial, if you reveal Christ's character, you actually bring more people to Christ than when you're not in a trial. Did you get it? Prime example of that is the cross. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now, the cross was a trial. He was in the fire. It even represents the brazen altar, which is the fire. So in that trial, Jesus Christ Revealed fully the character of God. It's only at the cross that you see fully Christ's humility. You see fully his love. You see fully his patience. You see fully his long suffering and his mercy. It's all at the cross, all in the midst of trial. Let me give you an illustration. Have you heard of the stories of the, the, it's a story of the 40 martyrs? The 40 martyrs. There were 40 Christian Roman soldiers in the 12th legion under the empress, emperor of Licinius. Now, Emperor Licinius was battling against Constantine at this time. Constantine was supposedly a Christian. Emperor Licinius was all pagan and he hated Christians. So he made this decree that every soldier in his army has to sacrifice to pagan gods. There were 40 Roman soldiers who refused. They said, you know what? You can take our armor, you can take our lives, but you cannot take Jesus away from us. And so the emperor was furious. He says, you know what? I'm going to make examples out of these men. I'm going to have you go out on the ice. And he, he stripped them naked midwinter, walked them and marched them in, in the middle of a frozen lake and had them stand there. And then he had the Roman soldiers on the outside of the lake have warm baths and fires all around. 
Then he says, all you have to do is make a sacrifice to the pagan God and recant on your relationship with Jesus. And you can have all the warmth and life that you need. Other than that, you're staying out here until you change your mind. Those 40 men stood in the cold. Now, they were in a trial, a tribulation. They stood in the cold and they began to sing songs. They began to rejoice. They began to praise God. And one by one, a man would fall dead. In the morning, there was one man left alive. And his hope was all but gone. And he decided, I want a warm blanket. I want to get by the warm fire. And so he ran back, or crawled back, I believe, because he was so cold. And he says, you know what? I recant. I don't want to believe in Jesus anymore. But that night, there was a Roman officer who watched those 39 men. And he was so moved about the revelation of character they revealed. He was so moved by their joy. He was so moved by their happiness. He was so moved by their peace. And he was so moved by their love for Christ. That as this man began to recant, this Roman officer began to step on his ice and take off his clothes. And he marched forward with no clothes in the middle of the lake amongst the dead bodies. And he declared his faith in Jesus Christ. In the trial. And and God put something else in my mind. The three Hebrew boys. When was Christ revealed? In the fire. Now think about this. Their witness was powerful outside the fire when they stood alone on the plains of Dura. Was it not? Amen. But it was not until they got into the fire and when Christ himself was revealed, then that was a more powerful witness for Nebuchadnezzar himself declared that everybody in the empire should worship their God. In your toughest moments, when you get down this hill, when it gets real, I should say. When you face circumstances, and I promise you, you will. Jesus says, in this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And you know what? Satan intends trials, watch this now, to dampen out your fire. God intends trials to throw gasoline on it. Did you get it? Because it's in the trial that the spirit of the Lord wants to rest more heavily upon you. It is only by the spirit of God that the character of Christ is revealed. So when you're in your trial, you can cry out to the Lord. I need your character. You see, we ask the wrong questions when we're in trial. We're just like David. You know what happens? Our eyes start off on heaven when we're on the mountain. But because of the trials and the circumstances that that is meant to be for our benefit, our eyes go from heaven back to earth. We start to look through the eyes of the flesh and not the eyes of the spirit. We get overcome with emotions and circumstances. And we ask questions, God, why is this happening to me? Why me? What did I do? Instead of asking, Lord, what are you trying to show me? And Lord, help me to reveal your character. Instead, we complain, Lord, I can't take it. Instead of rejoicing, saying, thank you, Lord, because I believe all things work together for good for them that love the Lord. We forget that his thoughts towards us are of peace and not of evil. The trials of the world kind of wear us down. We are just like David. Let's go back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 
1 Samuel chapter 30. And so David ends up in this town called Ziklag. Now, I looked up where Ziklag was, and I was amazed. Servant of the Lord said David disappointed the Lord in his decisions right here. He wasn't the man of prayer he used to be. He wasn't the man of faith he used to be at this time. And so he ends up in this town called Ziklag. Now, Ziklag was a border town. It was literally on the border between the lands of the Philistines and Israel. So watch this now. David told the king of Kish, you know what? I'll protect your borders and I'll fight my own people, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. But in reality, he lied to the king and he was fighting the Amalekites. So David had become what I call a secret undercover Christian. He was still supposedly doing the work of the Lord under the pretense of not doing it. He no longer was openly bold in his faith anymore. He was kind of undercover brother. Ziklag was on the border. So literally David had one foot in the lands of the Philistines and he had one foot in Israel. He became one of those Christians that started off on fire. When I get down from this mountain, I'm going to start knocking on doors. I'm going to start witnessing. He started off that way. Now he doesn't witness so much because school is too heavy on him. But he still goes to church on Sabbath. He started off his witnessing, doing Bible studies every week, but he doesn't do that anymore because relationship, he's got to dedicate himself to the relationship. But Still goes to church on Sabbath. He used to be motivated to pray at all times, in season, out of season. Now he's so tired from work, working overtime. But still goes to church on Sabbath. Do you know what the Bible says about Saul, about this lion that was hunting David? As soon as he got to Ziklag in 1 Samuel chapter 27, the Bible says in verse 4, And Saul sought him no more. Once the lion realizes you're in a position of compromise, once the lion realizes you're no longer that fire starter, once the lion got, has you in ziklag, there's no reason to hunt you anymore. Because he says, you're already in the lion's den. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I praise God that where David failed, where we fail, Christ has gained the victory. You see, this is really the story of Christ. Up to the point where David fails is exactly where Christ gains the victory. You see, when David was newly anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 16, as soon as he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that happens is he goes into the wilderness and defeats a giant that's tempting Israel for 40 days. The same thing with Christ as he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. The first thing that he does is he goes to the wilderness and defeats a giant that's tempting him for 40 days. The next thing that happens with David in the Bible chronologically is that he is set over the captain of men. He's becoming famous. His deeds are, are sung throughout the land to the point where the women are singing his praises. And then Saul is concerned about his kingdom and begins to hunt him down. The same thing with Christ. As soon as he came out of that wilderness, he began to casting out demons there, doing miracles here, casting out demons there, shaking up Satan's kingdom and the leadership of Israel. Put their eye upon him to hunt him down. Do you know what the servant of the Lord says? The evil spirit that was in the demoniac in Mark chapter one, the demon possessed man. 
That evil spirit that was in that man was the same evil spirit in the Pharisees. So the unclean spirit that was within Saul hunting David was the same unclean spirit within the Pharisees hunting Christ. Now watch this. When David was on the run, his life was being pursued. Where did he live? In caves, in the wilderness. He had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus says the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. They tried to push him off the cliff. They tried to stone him in John chapter 8 and in John chapter 10 for saying that before Abraham was, I am. And each time Jesus slipped out of death, just like David. And what blows me away, go to 1 Samuel chapter 22. It's supposedly describing David, but when you read it, think of Christ. 1 Samuel chapter 22, in verse 2. Are we there? And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Isn't that Jesus? But I praise God right where David failed is where Christ gained the victory. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and let's close out. Let's read. 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south. And Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burnt it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in his God. I love this story. This chapter I call David's fiery furnace. You see, he wasn't the man that God had called him to be. He had become someone pacified, no longer on fire for God's purpose. He was living a life of compromise to the point David was always concerned about the things before his eyes. You see, David had created so much issues in his life. He was concerned about his wives, his children, their well-being, their home, which is okay. The men, their loyalty. And God says, David, your eyes are in the wrong place. You forgot where your eyes should be at all times. And so in this hottest trial, in his fiery furnace, God did a merciful thing for David. Do you know what he did? He took away everything that David had his eyes upon. Wives were gone. Children were gone. The home was gone. His goods were gone. Even the loyalty of his men. They were trying to stone him. So David had nowhere else to look on this earth. Nothing else to depend on, nothing else to trust. And God, all he was trying to do was say, David, lift up your eyes up to the hills from whence cometh your help. For your help cometh from the Lord. And as soon as David realized and he adjusted his vision again and he forgot that his eyes should have never left the king. 
I'm so reminded of Christ in this, in this story. You see, Christ was forsaken as well. He had no one else to depend on. And through his example, in the hottest trial to fall upon an individual, we can learn how to deal with our trials. I see Jesus now walking on the road to Calvary. And I'm closing now. And as he walks, I imagine my loving Savior so weak because he, 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 he prayed all night and he bled and bled and bled. Not only that, he didn't eat nothing and he didn't drink anything. So he's famished. He's walking in the hot sun now. And I picture my Savior with his eyes swollen and blood. I always see him with blood trickling in his eyes. Because of the crown of thorns, I see blood trickling and he can't really see too well. He's in a bad shape. His back is shredded and he's walking with all the strength he can muster. And you know what? If anybody was in bad circumstances, he was. If anybody was in a hot trial, he was. And I could see him stumbling a little bit, doing his best to carry this load. I hear the voices of demons screaming at him, even through children. I see people whose life he has touched now screaming, crucify him. And I can imagine if I was Christ, I could be looking at people and say, you know what, I, I healed that guy's mother just the other day. I saved that person too. But as he's walking, his circumstances look horrible, right? They're the worst things that you can imagine in life. But you know what got him through that trial? It's in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 2, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, which David eventually did, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him? In Isaiah 53, it says, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. So in the moment of his trial, in the moment of his fiery furnace, his eyes weren't upon his bleeding flesh. His eyes wasn't thinking about the blood in his eye. His eyes wasn't thinking about how sore his back is. His eyes wasn't upon the screams of demons. His eyes were on heaven. You know what he was seeing? He was seeing us there being reunited with our loved ones. He was seeing a celebration like nobody has ever seen on this earth. He was seeing songs of victory. He was seeing scenes of joy. He was seeing little babies being reunited with their mothers. He was seeing the travail of his soul. His eyes were on heaven. Where are your eyes in trial? Are you looking at your circumstances a little bit too much? Are you worried about circumstances too much? Are you not thinking about the glory that God wants to bestow upon you? I love how the story ends when David finally looks back to heaven to gather his strength again. Three days later, how many days later? There comes a man running. And he's running with purpose. And inside this man's hand is a cloth. And this man gets to David. And David knows this man has eager and important news. And this man begins to tell David about the fall of Saul and his sons at Mount Gilboa. David's heart is broken. Then the man opens the cloth. And inside the cloth is the crown. 
After all the tribulation, after all the disappointment, after all the persecution, David, now you are ready for the crown. Yeah. It is through the fire of trials and tribulation that our golden crown is molded. No fire, no crown. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. James 1 verse 12. You know what I love about the story too? When Jesus went through his fiery furnace, guess what happened three days later? Hallelujah. He too would receive a crown. Amen? Remember your ultimate goal in life. Remember why you are here. Keep your eyes fixed on heaven. Be pumped up with his spirit to finish the work. Don't let circumstances beat you down. And when they do, go ahead and give him praise. Shout hallelujah and ask the Lord, what do you want me to see? And help me to reveal your character. Would you say amen? amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. And in your hearts, let us consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Let's dedicate ourselves to his cause. Let us renew our lives again to this gospel. Shall we pray? Father, we love you. We thank you for your ultimate wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for applying pressure where it needs to be applied. We thank you, Lord, that you never give us what we cannot take. You always provide an avenue of escape. You're really good to us, Lord. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would train our hearts and our eyes to be always fixed in the kingdom, that we would always walk the streets of gold and not the streets of this earth, that we would love to be in your presence, and that we would not let our circumstances and the trials, which you will authorize when we get down this hill, to overcome us or to burden us or to stop our mission that you have given to us. Empower us, for we dedicate ourselves to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, let God's people say amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.